to another exciting episode of Casual Radio. I am your host, Casual Morgan, and with me as always is my co-host, Mr. Bob Scribner. How are we doing, Mr. Morgan? We are doing awesome. So, what would you like to discuss today? I've well, got a feeling it's going to be out of this world. Oh, uh, you're, not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I would like to discuss uh, a movie based on a series that is very near and dear to my heart that you and I both recently watched the movie of, uh, I'd like to discuss Dune. Dune. Awesome, awesome movie. Good, good stuff, man. Uh, so I saw it in IMAX. A dear friend of mine bought bought a ticket uh, for my birthday, for a late birthday present. Went to see it in IMAX. What, what a show it was. It was definitely epic. Truly. So why don't all you tell me a little up, bit about... Oh, go ahead, sorry. All the way up to the last minute. Because then it stopped, and I was like, no! That, yeah, see, if they could have somehow made the entire movie, the entire book into one movie, that would have been great. But, uh, right. yeah, sadly they couldn't. But I, honestly, man, I was very impressed with it. But uh, I'm interested in hearing your your impressions of it. And then I'm going to give a little bit of mine, and then I'm, I'll talk a little bit about, because I've seen the new movie. I've seen the original 80s David Lynch Dune. Uh, I've seen the documentary about the original Dune movie that got shut down and everybody ended up making Star Wars and Alien. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the series. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I think uh, I think some of the uh, revelations about where this where the book series goes is going to kind of blow your mind a little bit. And then uh, we'll discuss just kind of whatever relating to it. I'm, I'm a huge fan of this series. I've read a lot of stuff about it. Uh, for a lot of years, so uh, this is this is a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. So I'm excited about this one. Awesome! It sounds like you love this series about as much as I talk about World of Warcraft. Well, yeah, a little bit. Except I'm not like trying to hump stuff. I've seen you peeing on peeing on uh, peeing on fire hydrants and trying to hump people's legs and stuff. I don't go that far, but uh... Worgen for life. <laughs> I do what I do, son. That's right. Well, go ahead and tell me your uh, your impressions of the movie. Go ahead and uh, lay it out for me. Well, first, before I lay that out, why don't we get started with how I knew what Dune was in the first place. Now, I didn't read the books, and I did not watch Shh, the... Casual uh, Morgan read? That'll never happen. Ouch. <laughs> that one cut deep. So, um, I never read the books. I didn't know what Dune was. I never uh, saw that the original movie... I found Dune through video games. The video game of Dune. Uh, what was it, Dune 2, you said? Dune, Dune 2 was the original, and Dune 2 is uh, actually like the video game sequel to the 1980s movie, Dune. And it's also considered, as far as the Western world, the kind of the, the father of real-time strategy in like the U.S. And, and, you know, areas like that, just because of its... Um, the game mechanics that were introduced in Dune 2 were the ones that ended up being made pretty much into every strategy game, every real-time strategy game moving forward. Exactly. And when I played Dune as a kid, uh, it was actually a lot of fun. 
minus the sandworms. <laughs> yeah, that was a th- they were a lot of fun. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna level with you. I thought that was a really cool bit. I actually didn't play Doom Two first. My first strategy game was was a different strategy game by the same company called Command and Conquer. So when I went back to Doom, the sandworms had me all screwed up. Yeah, Command and Conquer, I I played briefly, but I did play a lot of Doom. And uh, I'm talking back when you're renting the game on weekends from oh, yeah. uh, Blockbuster. That's how oh, I yeah. played Doom was, oh. hey, Mom, it's Friday. I've been really good this week. Let me get some Blockbuster games. And hey. I, would get, I would get that or uh, Need for Speed. You know, just nice. I'm talking PlayStation 1, the OG Old PlayStation. It's funny, so I had, because Doom 2, I had Doom 2 on computer. I had Doom 2000 on the PlayStation, which was just a remake. It was just a remake, for, you know, with slightly updated graphics or whatever. Uh, because the original Doom 2 was on, like, they had the, I forget what the what it was called, but they had it on floppy disk. I remember have, uh, a friend of mine had the, had the game on floppy disk and played it like that. Yeah. No, see, I've played on floppy disk before, too. My uh, father, when I was a kid, had a Commodore 64 gaming oh, system. Nice. Oh, you talk about old school. It had the little green screen. You pop the keyboard <laughs> off yep. of it. And I would play Ghostbusters on that bad boy. See, Why I never. Ghostbusters. The earliest system I remember having was the Atari. Uh, was it 2600 or whatever? That's the earliest system I remember. My, my aunts had that. Yeah, we had. We had the OG Atari too, but the first game system I ever actually played was the Commodore 64. Very nice. You, sh- you show that to my kids, and they'd be like, "Well, that's whack as fuck." Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I, it's funny. A friend of mine bought uh, the Super Nintendo. Um, bought me for Christmas the Super Nintendo like plug and play thing that you have, where it's got like 50 games preloaded on it. And uh, play that, and I play that with my kid a lot. But like, he can only handle so much before he's like, "All right, I need, I need a real game." It's like you don't understand. This is all we had. Yeah, this is what we had: pong or nothing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days, bro. Exactly. Kids these yeah. days are spoiled. Yeah, they got they literally like. Uh, as a little side, I was talking to uh, the brat the other day because one of my favorite, other favorite movies is uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And we were discussing it because the kid and I like to watch it together. And uh, he was like playing on his phone while we were talking about it. And I'm like, you realize that your phone does more than the Hitchhiker's Guide did in that movie. And that was that was like what people thought technology was going to be in the 70s. And now we're so far past that. We're, we're in a totally different world. You know, it's just crazy. Right. Just crazy. But that... Uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about you. So you played the game, and you enjoyed the game. Correct. And then you, you heard about this movie, and you're like, well, I guess i got to watch this. Actually, no. Um, I heard about the movie through you. You had been talking about it was coming out, and all of a sudden I see it pop up on HBO Max. And I'm like, I, I played this game, and I know that JR <laughs> talks about liking Dune a lot, so I checked it out. I'm Bob Scribner, not JR. Or Bob Scribner. Okay, Son whatever. Of a bitch. You're the same person. So Bob, <laughs> Edit that out. so Bob was talking about this movie before it came out. Ironically, I watched it hours before you went to the theater. Because yes, you, well, you, you started it and you didn't finish yeah. it. You took a nap or something. 
Yeah, because it was a Friday and I was exhausted. It was my weekend. So, yeah, I started. I got about uh, about a third of the way into it. And then I just I had to get some sleep. I had been up since the day before I was out of it. But I did finish it that weekend, and it was awesome. Jason Momoa was awesome. Uh, the actor, uh, what's the kid's name who plays the chosen one? Tim- Timothy Chalamet. Okay, well, he did awesome as well. Uh, let me let me jump in real quick here. I want to say one thing as far as the movie before we go any further. And the the best part, as a fan of the books. It was the casting because every single person looked exactly how they were described, at least to some degree from the books. So I will say that every character that I saw could have jumped right out of the books. Yeah. They, so they did based on your, your observations, they came out just realistic as hell. Oh yeah. The, the casting director had better win a fucking Oscar because they could not, have done a better, like they clearly the people that made this were fans of the series and were fan wanted to do it well. And they cast even, even the, um, the one main character that was gender swapped, I thought was done well. And I thought that actor that actress did a great job and she really portrayed that character well. So, I mean, every single character and the way they acted and the things they said, the things they did, it was perfect. Agreed. I would not. I would actually love to have the voice to use yeah, on my wife and kids. Yeah, that would be that'd be the number one thing that I would want. That's a, it's it's really similar. The voice is really similar to uh, the voice of God from the Preacher series. If you've ever watched that, I have not. That's on Hulu, but uh, it's originally a comic. The guy like gets this uh, half angel, half demon hybrid thing, like souls stuck inside of him, and he's got this power called the voice of God, and he just tells people to do shit and they have to do it. Nice. I wish I yeah, it's, I, that'd be nice yeah, to have. I that would be I have ugh, the the ugh, the horrible things I would do to the people I hated. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's, for, it's for the best. It's for the best that we don't have that. Use the shit out of it. Aubrey you would have, in your room. You would have no furniture in your house. It would just be an empty house. Yeah. <laughs> Stop buying furniture, woman. <laughs> uh, that's funny. We don't need more tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wish i had so, the force or whatever power could prevent her from spending all my money on dumb stuff oh yeah so you really liked the movie you really enjoyed it it really tickled your fancy that what was your biggest disappointment my biggest disappointment is probably everyone's biggest disappointment the end <laughs> the fact that it ended right because i'm like it's building it's building it's building and next year what? What? Yeah, well, I mean, at the very least, people basically the way it was, um, the way it was advertised, we pretty much knew, and I mean, the fans of it knew that it was only going to be half the movie. But if you had went in not knowing what was going on, I could imagine how angry. Yeah, I could imagine how angry. It's like, wait a minute, all the good shit is just now happening. Yeah, and as good as everything told. that as good as everything was in the first one, the second one's going to be even better, even oh, yeah. better. That's how I felt, too, because I'm like, oh, man, this is getting good, and damn it! Yep. I, yep. I am sure that they are going to knock it out, just knock it out of the ballpark when it comes out. Oh, yeah, it's as as well as they did this one, 
I, I don't think they could possibly fuck up the next one. Like they built it perfectly. So, and it's obvious they know where they're going with it. So that's not really a concern in my mind. I think, I think yeah. uh, Dennis Villain, the way they was absolutely prepared to make, to make the second one, like from the beginning. So I think, I think we're good. I think the next one's going to come out and be great. Yeah. And I was a little disappointed when they turned the, uh, the dude into a gas bomb to, to murk everyone. I really oh, liked that's, him. Yeah, that's an important part of the and it's but do you know who that is? I I the know actor? who he is, yeah. Yeah, it's the guy that plays Poe Dameron in Star Wars. Right. Yeah, I didn't know that. I had to look it up because I was like, I don't know who this is. He looks famous, but I don't know who it is. It I completely went over my head. I remember him from other movies, but he was well, awesome. Was Seeing he, him was go he down in, was disappointing. Was he in like Six Fast, Six Furious, or whatever? No, um, I can't remember the name of the movie I saw him in. He's been in a bunch of different stuff. He's, He's been actor. in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I just I don't know. I I know his face is how I know him. Yeah, but yeah. It was not Oscar Isaac or something like that. I don't know. It's Oscar something. Yeah, He's a really good actor, though. Yeah, I was really but, impressed, and I I was really impressed with his uh, with his relationship with his son and the way that all worked out. I, I think they did a great job. And his beard was on point. Yeah, I wish I could grow that beard. I wish I had that hair. The yeah, salt pepper hair. He was he was that legit older guy that is yep. just a badass period yep. in the story. For the sure. beard. Like maybe that was his superpower wasn't <laughs> just the voice, it was the beard. Well he didn't have the voice, but yeah. Respect <laughs> super, the beard. His superpower was only the beard. Yeah, I mean that was a, a manly beard. Truly, truly. Um, I did find it interesting that that uh, the chosen one that his mom was secretly a uh, what are they called a Jeb Bene Gesserit. She was it wasn't secret. Yes, it wasn't secret. She was actually purchased to be his concubine. I th- I don't remember how much they go into in the movie. Uh, I need to watch it again because it's so good. But yeah, she actually like they knew she was, and she was training Paul to be basically a male Bene Gesserit, which um, was outlawed, right? Yeah, kinda. Um, she got away with it for a specific reason. Um, she got away with it because he because he's as you keep saying he's the chosen one or whatever. That's basically why she's getting away with it. Right. But uh, if, if it fucks up, she's in some trouble. But I mean, she's never going to know. She's going to be dead. But uh. Yeah, it's um, damn, is a good movie. Damn, good movie. Yeah, what was the name of not the actress, but the name of the character that uh, was testing him? Uh, the the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohayim. Okay, well she was a bitch, but yeah, she she uh, she wasn't playing around. No, well, there's a part in the in the first book where they describe where they're discussing, um. The the uh, because at the beginning of like essentially recorded time up to this point after they've gotten gotten away from being enslaved by you know by machines which is why they don't have any computers um, there were two schools of like perfection that were pursued three schools of perfection that were pursued um, for humanity. And then there was the, the Mentats, which was like the, the heavy set guy that his eyes kept going back into his head. He's okay. a human computer. That's his See, thing. That's amazing. I thought I was like, are these guys having seizures? What is happening? No, yeah, no, he's a human. He's literally a human computer. 
That's then you've awesome. got the, the Spacing Guild, which basically they use high-end mathematics to plot courses through probability to make sure that nobody hits anything. And there's a part in the book where... So they're like after, a radar system. Eh, essentially. like they're, They also have a little bit of precognition like uh, Paul has because of their use of the spice. But uh, it, essentially pure mathematics and um, the Bene Gesserit, while also kind of space witches, they also, their original purpose is purely politics. They're trying to play everybody off of each other to keep anybody from getting too powerful and to be, to keep anybody from basically from enslaving the rest of the, the rest of the universe. So they're the check and balance system. Essentially. Yeah. To put it, bluntly. they're the, they're the iron fist and the velvet glove as they describe it in the book. Right. To put it um, bluntly. Yeah. But um, there's only two main parts that really kind of aggravated me about the movie compared to like just just based on the lore of the of the world the world building and one of them wasn't really bad i think they had to play so jessica in the books the lady jessica is a stone fucking a stone-faced badass but in her mind because you're kind of in her mind through a lot of the chapters you're seeing her insecurity and you're seeing her her kind of knowing that bad shit is happening like they knew when they went to the desert planet that they weren't coming home that that was it they were going to die there right and she was told that and she tried to tell duke leto that and he ignored her he was like nope this is what i have to do this is said we're taking our chance because i think i can make it work and um in the movie they they play that as her kind of freaking out like kind of falling apart all the time and then pulling herself back together and, like, the first couple times I was like, I don't know that I like this, because that's not really what she was like in the book, right? It was kind of, it was a little too overdone to my mind. She was pretty emotional, yeah. But as we, as we went further and as I think about it more, I think it makes sense because you're having to show and not tell what she's thinking. And so they basically had to have the actor showing her falling apart and pulling it back together. And honestly, I think that makes her look like more of a badass because she's like – freaking out about everything and still coming together and like doing the damn thing. And she saves their lives and she's the one that uses the voice to get them out of the situation. And she's the one that basically has it all set up to where they can, they can survive with the Fremen because of her and her training and her training Paul basically. So right. that ended up, that ended up being a strength, I think in the movie. Yeah. She saved them when they were mm-hmm. uh, kidnapped and, the yeah. manner in which she did it, she gave no fuck. She was like, hey, oh, yeah. get, we're getting out of this. You're you're just going to get over here and cut your throat. And we're done. <laughs> yep. Look, but, we're done being prisoners. Uh, we're over this. We're going to need you to let us go and die. But the only part that really aggravated me world-building-wise, so the, the, our, the Atreides, the good guys, use shields for, like, everything, right? Right. Shields. There's two things about shields in the context of the movie that you need to know. Number one, shields and shields will send sandworms into a frenzy and they'll try to kill everything anywhere near. It. Okay. So the so the Fremen can't use shields ever, right? Because they live in the desert. Yeah. Yes, and they're on the sandworms. Also, the las guns in the Dune universe. If a las gun, if a laser intersects a shield. It's like an A-bomb going off from both the laser position and the shield position. So shooting a laser with the shield kills everybody in a fucking nuclear bomb area of both of them, right? 
So you're basically forced into hand-to-hand combat. Exactly. But when Duncan Idaho escapes and takes off in his uh, in his ornithopter, they're shooting las guns at him. And you can tell that he's got a shield because it keeps blinking blue whenever he almost hits things. And the one of the points that they make in the book is like they're they're the the Harkonnen are afraid to use a las gun anywhere where somebody might be using a shield because then all their soldiers are dead and they've lost. Right. Right. So that part kind of pissed me off because it was like, you're kind of going against your own world building. And it actually, it contradicts even further the part a little bit later when they're in the, uh, they're in the, um, the sanctuary with Leah Kynes, the, the Imperial planetologist lady, the lady that's been helping them kind of, um, and then the Sardaukar, the Imperial Guards, are trying to cut through the rock, and they're using laser guns. And she hisses, and she's like, those idiots are using LAS guns. Right. The reason that she, she does that is because Paul and Jessica have shields, and it will blow them up. See, I didn't and, know what that was about. Yeah, see, they don't. that's the one thing that they don't really explain well is that. So that was the only real part that really bugged me about the movie and about the world building as they did it, because everything else, I think they did a good job of um, just kind of letting it, letting it build itself and kind of letting the story just kind of be, because you don't need to have all the detail, but that they contradicted themselves. And that kind of pissed me off a little bit. I can see. I'm glad that you told me that because when she made that comment, I didn't understand. I was like, well, if I had one, I'd use it too. Shit. Exactly. Of course you you would use that. And that part is straight from the book. In fact, when Duncan Idaho first shows up, he's followed by the Harkonnen. And they show up and they're like, hey, you know, we got to get undercover. And he's like, no, no, it's all good. I left him a surprise. And he planted a shield along his path and a laser, a las gun hits it and blows up the ornithopters that are chasing them. Nice. Yeah. So that's a part in the book that it didn't, you know, it didn't necessarily need to be filmed, but. Again, that would have made that part clearer that they know not they're supposed to know not to use las guns. But the Sardukar are so loyal that they don't care. Like they'll sacrifice their lives just like that to kill Paul and Jessica so the Emperor doesn't get in trouble. That's what that was supposed to be showing. Okay, so it was basically a uh we're all in. If we they're, have to take everyone out to take yeah, them out, we'll do it. They're fine being in a suicide mission. Basically, damn kamikaze yeah. style. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean, and, and also the thing about it is, is the fact that they'll throw their lives away for nothing. But each each Sardukar is worth like twenty of a normal soldier. And the reason that the emperor is coming after the Atreides is because they're working with the Fremen, and the Fremen are as good or better than the Sardukar. Man, yeah. So that's uh, that's another part that didn't really come out. So, and you don't see a lot of the Emperor in this version. In the 80s version, they really lean into that stuff and do a good job of explaining it, but they have to cut a lot of the good stuff out. But um, they left all the good stuff in this version, but it kind of leaves a little bit to be desired as far as storytelling and world building. But at the same time, you can do away with that, and people like you can watch it and just enjoy it and only have a few small questions. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I've got a. I do have a few questions, and yeah, lay it on me. Man, to answer them. Lay it on me, brother. The ornicopters. I love. Yeah, the dragonfly looking helicopter. Yeah, I loved them, but it just blew my mind that in in this level of technology, the ascension of technology, they're using standard like nothing was digital. They were using manual flight 
they were all the gauges, everything was seriously old school. And I thought, with all this technology, wouldn't they have everything com- controlled by the computer system? So, uh, part of the lore of this world is at one point humanity had built computers so smart that they took over took over the universe and enslaved mankind and man yeah mankind was enslaved basically like the matrix or like uh the terminator you know what i mean and the reason that they they overthrew it it's called the butlerian jihad they there was a woman who was a slave of a specific uh, robot, and she had a baby. And the robot told her that you know her desire to keep her baby safe was stupid. Basically, snatched it out of her hand and threw it off of a building in front of a crowd of people. They killed the baby, and the people went nuts and uh, you know swarmed this robot's palace and wiped it out and destroyed it. And it, where they raised this huge revolt and destroyed the la- destroyed these thinking machines to the last one, like there were none left. My and when it was God. all over, when it was all over, they said, "Never again will we even allow a possibility of a computer to get that strong." And that's why they had uh, that's why they have Mentats, which is what Thufer Howitt, which was the heavier set older guy that worked with Duke Leto, he like he kept uh, his eyes kept flashing back into his head. He's a Mentat. Okay. And uh, the the skinny, ugly looking dude that was with Baron Harkonnen that got killed by the poison gas, he was also a mentat. And they're basically they're just human computers. They're literally their the human mind taken to its furthest extent. That way that they can't that that way that they don't use anything computerized that could ever rise up against them again. So that's one of the reasons that a lot a lot of the technology is drawn way down so that everything is is strictly manual. And that means that humanity has to be trained to its furthest extents. I like the way you answered that. You were very, very detailed. Good. I'm glad you like that. And there was one other thing, too, that I wanted to lay out before you ask. I don't know that you'll know to ask this, but I'm going to lay this out. So Get the it. traitor, the traitor that let the Harkonnens in, right? The doctor. Yui, the doctor. Now, one of the things that they don't explain in the movie is he was so trusted there was no way he could ever be the traitor. And part of that was the diamond tattoo on his forehead. What that meant was he had went to the, I think it was the Imperial or the Royal uh, Medical School or Imperial Medical School or whatever it was called. And he had, uh, it was, he went to the Souk School, which was the, the innermost, most trusted school. And they were conditioned to the point where the diamond on his forehead meant that he was so conditioned that he could safely treat the emperor and they knew that he would never betray him. There was no way that anybody can suborn that training. I thought it was just so, a kick-ass tattoo. No, it, it, it meant that he was so trustworthy that there was no way he could be the traitor, but it turned out he was the traitor because they and had his wife, right? They had his wife. Yep. They and that was, snatched her up. they make, they, in the book, it makes that a bigger point. There's actually a part where Duncan Idaho was really drunk and comes in drunk, and Jessica's like, why are you acting like an asshole? And he's like, don't talk to me like that, you Harkonnen spy. But damn. Yeah, so the Duke has made it like, made it to everybody, like he doesn't trust Jessica, because the only, they, they were trying to find out who was the actual spy. And he's like, well, obviously I can trust her, but I have to pretend like I can't, and I can't tell her. But they cut that part out of the movie. So See, I you thought don't, she was wifey. 
I'm like, why is he distrusting of his own wifey? No, she, she's not. They're not married. He left himself unmarried in case any of the other great houses had an unmarried daughter they could ally with them. And that's why he says his greatest regret was never marrying her. Exactly. Yep. So that was uh, that was a part that's that nuts. They, yeah they didn't play into that too much. But that was why that was why everybody was so like scandalized whenever he was the bad guy. It was like oh, and they like I said they don't they don't build up to that almost at all in the movie. But that's a huge part of the book. No, I was pissed off that he betrayed him because I'm like obviously he's trusted, but damn, why yeah. do you do it? And yeah. now that you say that, it's like it's a real big issue now. I thought it Real was quick. some guy being a douche, but no, it's like that's a serious betrayal if he's in that position. For sure. But uh, yeah, I just I thought that uh, they they could have tried to explain that they didn't have a lot of time, but that was a huge plot point that they really kind of needed to get to. Yeah, I didn't realize he was so specialized that. Yep, he was. He was a real deal. Was, like now, his betrayal is a million times worse. Yeah. Now that I know and, that information. And, in the rest of the series, like that is a huge thing where like from now on, like he he blackens the name of that school forevermore. Like there's a part in book four, which spoiler alert, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a spoiler here for the book, because I know you're not gonna read it. Duke pa- Paul, Paul Atreides, has kids, and one of his kids turns into a sandworm and is immortal, and he's the god emperor. And he actually thinks a lot like the medical school that they had went to had has been destroyed by like 10,000 years into the future because of this black spot from Dr. Yui. So, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a long it's a long term. It's long term booking. It's a long term story on that one. Man, that is. Is a serious betrayal now that you think about it. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's huge. It's a huge deal. So, uh, and that's go ahead. Oh, no, and that's a that's they actually they do a good job. That's one of the things. Okay, so I like the 80s movie, it's not a good movie, all right, it's really not. But that's what like the the 80s movie actually hits all of the plot points that you need to get that to get the points of this. Like the whole thing with Yui, like they don't have very much time for that because it's it's a it's a movie about the same length as the newer one, but it gets the entire story in. It just it compresses it real real tight, and uh, they they make a point to get that part in. Is that, and the tooth, the tooth is a big part of uh, the, those chapters where the tooth that he pulls out is also where he was hiding the signet ring that they give to Paul, and uh, he pulls that fake tooth out and puts the other fake tooth in that's got the poison gas and the poison gas stuff, and there's a lot of other stuff that like that gets that gets put in to. Um, that got put into the eighties movie that they took out of this one that okay. I think that with, um, since they have two movies to, to do it, they probably could have left in and cut a few of the, cut a few of the other things. But at the same time, movie audiences now need more action and they made sure to put all the good action stuff in. So, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It just, it really leaves a big plot point of well, why did they trust this guy? If he's clearly an asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense for sure. So, but, the- um, the uh the the helicopters were one of my favorite things man i i wish i could fly one of those bad and those boys. were so cool yep so cool they did those so well in in this version 
And I was also, so since we were talking about questions, the only other question I really had was the voice. Explain the voice. So the voice basically refers to the Bene Gesserit. So the Bene Gesserit are basically like super yoga, um, super like mind powers. They've got, they don't have psychic powers. They're not actually psychic. Like, okay, so the Reverend Gaius Helen Mahayim, which was the woman who, who Paul had to put his hand in her box to, uh, to get to be tested to see if he was human, right? Okay. Her job is she's the emperor's truth sayer. So whenever somebody says something in front of her, she can tell if they're lying or not perfectly. And they're not psychic. They can just, they can just read you by what you say and the way your body moves. They're the perfect lie detectors. And it's because of their kind of attention to these details. These kind of like these, it's called Pranabindu where they like, they, they, focus their powers and they focus their mind and they meditate and they, they focus on the minutia of everything. Like they could just look at the way your fingernails are cut and they could tell what, what your mother, what day your mother spanked you 10 years ago kind of thing. Like they're very, very, they're very, very like in depth with that. And um, I forget, what was the question? I got away from that. The force. Oh, the, the voice. Explaining Um, or the, yeah. Explaining what the voice is. Basically, they can, they, so, you know, you've heard of the brown noise, right? Right. There, there's a noise in, in human hearing that can just make you shit your pants. Basically, the theory is that there's a way to tell someone something, that they'll do something without thinking about it. And the Bene Gesserit have elevated it to a science beyond anything we can understand, where they can modulate their voice to each person's, to each person's um, tolerances and basically make them do whatever they want. That's pretty fucking sweet. Yeah, it's really cool. That's a really cool part in the book, too. There's a lot of stuff with the book with that. And uh, in the later, in the later, um, in the later books, too. The later books get crazy, but I, I like the later books. I, I, I can't hate on them, but. Um, Absolutely. So but yeah. why don't you tell me about we've now discussed my views of Dune and how I got into Dune. This seems to be a serious passion for you. So why don't you just go on a rampage and give us everything you've got for Dune? Well, I'm the Dune guy. Like I grew up and a friend of mine had, he owned the movie and had the first book and nobody else had any of the other books. So we watched the movie because you should always watch a movie first because the movie's almost always going to be worse. And if you're going to like the movie, you have to like the movie before you can read the book. Because so if you the read movie, the books first, then you're going to be disappointed in the yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. It's going to ruin it. It's going to ruin it. So we watched the movie. It was fun. It had Matthew uh, Kyle McLaughlin. Uh, I forget the, the female actor that was in it that was really good. Um, it had Sting in it. It had uh, it, uh, Virginia Madsen, who the, was the, the musician Sting. Yep, Sting. Yep. Nice. Yeah, it had Virginia Madsen as one of the narrators, and she was the blonde girl from Candyman, the original Candyman. Wait, I know her name. I th- it, Michael uh, Madsen's sister. It's the guy from uh, Pulp Fiction, or not Pulp Fiction, from uh, Reservoir Dogs. She, yeah, she's most famous probably for being uh, the main character from Candyman. But it had a lot of big name actors, and uh, so we watch it. I liked it. It was decent. 
And then I read the book and was fucking blown away. Like it was one of my favorite. It's still one of my favorite books of all time. And like I said, I was the first one to in our little circle to go past the first book. And I started buying the rest of them. And the way the books were set up is there are six of them by the original author. And it was supposed to be a trilogy and then a cent like a central book and then another trilogy to finish it. And he didn't get to finish the last book. So there, there ended up being six. And the first three are about Paul and Chani and their family, basically. Spoiler alert, they end up having kids. Whoa. Um, in the second book, so the first book happens. The second book, he basically walks off. And at the end of the second book, he walks off into the desert because he has had his eyes taken out and Fremen don't. If, if somebody can't hold their weight in the tribe, they just let them. And he actually uses his, like, preescence, his future fortune-telling kind of thing, to, like, as just sight up to a certain point. And then he just walks off into the desert at the end. And in the next one, if you recall in the movie, Jessica is pregnant at the end of the movie. Right. I saw that. And Paul says that you're pregnant with my sister. And she's like, oh, shit. Well, the sister ends up getting born and she actually there's um, there's that part in the movie where she's having the kind of vision and she's got like the tattoos or the paint on her arms and her face. She's basically she's taking this water made from a drowning sandworm and turning it into this poison. Right. And because she did it while she was pregnant, it makes her fetus have all of the knowledge of all of all of the Bene Gesserit previous lives, all of them. Wow. Every single one of them. Yeah. And because of that, they call her an abomination. Well, in the third book, she ends up abominating and talking to her uncle, who turns out to be Baron Harkonnen. And Baron Harkonnen corrupts her and makes her evil. While this is all going on, Paul is basically a blind preacher. He's called the preacher coming out of the desert and talking against her and against Stilgar and blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. And um, one of the things at the end of the second book, right before he runs off is they have one of the, there's another, um, another organization called the Cleolaxu. I'm not going to go too much into them, but they can clone people. Right. And they bring a clone of a gentleman that you might know by the name of Duncan Idaho. Got it. But he has no memory. He's a clone, right? Okay. But there, there's a process where they can awaken these clones. They're called golas. They can awaken these golas and give them all of their memories from time immemorial, right? So they do that for Paul. And when they do that, they say, we can do this for Chani because Chani's died. She dies in childbirth. They're like, we could bring her back exactly as she was before. And he refuses and walks out into the desert. Okay. So when he comes back, he's preaching against his sister, his baby sister, who's an abomination. The brother and his, his two kids are working against the aunt, against their aunt. And the son basically turns himself into a sandworm. And they end up taking... Yeah, they end up taking over. He takes over as God Emperor. And over the next 10,000 years, they have Duncan Idaho Golas coming out the wazoo. He um, 
they keep awakening them. So all these Idaho's know all the shit that the rest of them have done. They know all their history. Like, like I said, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. Some crazy potatoes. Yeah, real crazy. But um, Idaho potatoes get it. Yep. But uh, the first three, the first three are really good just because they're based around the same story, right? The fourth one is actually the the God Emperor one, which is the one with um, with um, Paul's son as a sandworm, is actually really good, even though it sounds dumb as hell. But then after that, it gets it, it gets even crazier because he dies and turns into a million sandworms, and then the planet goes back from being a paradise to a desert, and they it's hard to explain there's a lot going on in the in the last two books yeah it sounds but, uh, like it there's a lot going on and then they end up running off to start basically a new world at the end of the series but um yeah it, it gets wild it gets wild and there's no way any of these books or any, any of the movies are going to touch on any of this there's no way but uh these the, too much uh, yeah there no there's no way but the second movie will will definitely go to the end of the first book, and that's where it'll stop. Because realistically, the story can stop at the end of the first one. Man, but you would hope that the, it would continue. Well, so there's a uh, there's a sci-fi series called Children of Doom that you can watch for free on YouTube that was based on the story of the third book with the kids and the kid turning into turning himself into a sandworm and the crazy sister and blah blah blah. So, I mean, there, there are, and that was actually really good. So there are other, um, there are other uh, avenues to kind of explore the story, but I don't think it'll go any further than these two movies just because there's no point and the actors are going to get old enough to where it's not going to work. Uh, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. So Duncan Idaho dies in the movie. I know. What do you think happens to the other two? I, I don't know. That's. That's what I've been trying to figure out. You remember who I'm talking about, right? There's the guy that sword fights with him and the right. human computer dude. Right. If you recall, the, the, the sword fighter guy, he's in that part where Idaho gets away and then he fights with the Sardaukar. The other dude, you, you just don't see. What do you think I, happens to him? I don't know. I think that the uh, the the older guy is going to... Uh, make a comeback i think like he's doing one of those licking your wounds situations and you'll make yeah. a comeback nice the computer guy the computer guy i think he's gonna get murked like they're gonna, ghost gonna get his murked? ass right yeah, they're, they're gonna ghost his ass right on that's an what i think. i'm interested i'm interested to see how they how they play it but I don't know. I mean, the problem is I don't have the extensive knowledge of the book that you do to know mm-hmm. what how important they really are. Oh yeah, they're they're going to be real important. <laughs> but see, to me, how I they di- how they die, really important. How they die and where they die is going to be pretty important. But um, but I think the uh, computer dude is going to get ghosted. You think? Yep. That'll be interesting. I'm just mad uh, that Jason Momoa died. I was like, man, he was whooping ass. Like I said, man, that was by far the best. Like the casting in this, everybody they picked was just perfect. The dude, so the dude that Jason Momoa is playing in the books is even more badass than they like. They can't go into some of the detail of how badass he is in the movie because there's just not enough time. Like he has fucking whole books devoted to his badassery. Really? Like he's yeah, he's awesome. The Gina, he's he's a, a Gina swordmaster, 
which is he the, the tenth level adept. He's supposed to be able to take on ten Sardukar at once in hand to hand combat and just wipe them out. And if you watch in the movie, he does. Oh, he fucks them up. <laughs> it, it, it ends up taking like twenty of them, and they you know they basically cheat him and he kills them off as he's dying. Like he's he's a straight badass. Oh yeah, he did not go down without a fight. Yeah, no, he's he's by far one of the best book characters, and that was why, like in the the second book, when he comes back and they bring his memories back or whatever, I mean, it was it was jarring. Like it was, it, I, I absolutely understand their plan of like getting Paul to just go away and let them take the spice so he could have his wife back because they were like, we could just bring their memories back. And Duncan Idaho's like, hey, bud, what's up? I remember dying for you, and he's like, no, he's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, I mean, when he secured, when he saluted them yeah, as, that was, as the door was being secured, yeah, that that was like, bruh. Yeah, that, that was cool as hell. You knew so, shit was about to pop off and he was going to go down, but. Oh, yeah. And so they that came was, in talking that shit and he was just like, I'm going to take them all out. Yeah. That's an interesting little part, too, because Leah Kynes, which is the woman that they were with in that part, is actually a man in the books. But I think that I think that that was a that was a really good uh, gender swap in that. I think that 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 was a good place for it. I thought that it that it did a lot for that, that it did some for that character. Um, And then if you notice that Shawnee mentions her aunt at the end of the movie, Leah Kynes is her aunt. Right. Because didn't she say her aunt knew where the thing was? Yeah. Her aunt was the one that had him come come up. That's why they knew where they were at. Right. Now, Homegirl uh, home sacrificed herself. She didn't what, sacrifice herself. She was killed trying to escape. Right, but didn't she get the sandworm to come and eat those fools? She did, but she wasn't getting the sandworm to come and eat them originally. She was going to ride it to safety. Oh, that's right. They can ride that's, those things. That's why she had the hooks. Imagine riding that mountain World of Warcraft. Hell yeah, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Bringing it all full circle. Going tremors uh, mode. And that was, there was one other little bit from the from the ending part that uh, that kind of bugged me with the the dialogue. They kind of changed the dialogue a bit. So in uh, in this in the knife fight at the end where he fights Jamis, and Chani gives him her knife so she, so he can die well. That's not how the, that's not what she says. In really? the book, in the book she she hands him the knife and she says he'll switch he'll switch the blade from one hand to the other. And she also says he turns to the left after a faint. So she's like giving him advice. She's not saying you're just going to die. Like she's giving him advice. Really? In, yeah, in the movie, she's like, yeah, it sucks. You're going to die. You can die with my knife. It's all good. Yeah, that's how I saw it was she's yeah, like, that's, if that's you're going to die, die with a cool weapon. Yeah, that's that's basically the way they played that in in the movie. Not at all how they played it in the book. Okay, so that just did bring up one last question. Do we have time for one last question and answer? Yeah, we got. Let's do a question and answer. Then I want to tell you a little bit about uh, Yadarowski's doom. So go ahead. Okay, so through the movie, he's seeing the guy that he killed as yep. a mentor. He's leading him on this path, and then when yep. he finally meets him, the dude's trying to murder his ass or murder his mom. And, like, what the hell? I did not so, see that. What is that so about? That, in the book, that's not exactly how that happens, but. Him killing Jamis is how he basically gets into Fremen society, and he he uh, mentions there's a part where they uh, they have a ceremony 
where they like they tell they they split up all of Jamis's gear and they tell like they tell their memories of him basically. And there's one guy that's like, whenever whenever we ran out of water after this ambush, Jamis shared his water with me, and I thank him for that. And he takes his bandana, and blah blah blah. And then Paul gets up and he says, Jamis taught me what it was like to have to take a life, and I wish I had known him better. And he takes his little guitar thing, and he weeps, and they all freak out because you're not supposed to cry for the dead, and it's a holy thing, and blah blah blah. But basically, he's teaching him through having killed him. Who having he's teaching him through having let him kill him, that you know that his, this um, this path that he's on is dangerous, and there are because if you remember in the vision, there's a part of the vision where he's dead, right where uh, she kills him. Yeah, well, either she kills him or Jamis kills him, and that was actually a part in the book where where there was a possibility, there were a lot of possibilities where he dies in that cave. See, because I remember one of the scenes where it finally shows them together, like almost embracing, and I thought she shanked him. She stabs him, and then he looks up, and it's Janice, I think. I don't know. It, I guess it's been long enough since I've seen that. I don't remember exactly. We're going to have to rewatch, because I'm pretty yeah. sure she shanked his ass. I remember, like, they kissed or something, and then he gets stabbed, and he looks down, right. and he's got the blood in his hand. But then he looks up, and it's Janice. But oh, maybe see, that's not the way that it. played out. Yeah, see, I – God, I don't remember now. That kind of bugs me, because I – I don't remember. Well, I'll have to I watch spent it again. The whole movie seeing these visions, and I'm like, "Oh, they're love." Yeah, you know? that's wifey, yeah. and then she shanks his bitch ass. I'm like, "Oh shit!" That escalated they're, quickly. Oh, yeah. Well, and so one last quick bit is right at the end of the movie, they're headed out and they're marching. There's a little kangaroo mouse. I remember. You remember that, that part? little guy? The little kangaroo mouse. That is. That's going to be their word for kangaroo mouse is going to become his name. Oh, and he yeah. actually he makes that. There's a point in uh, the, earlier in the books where he's talking about um, what they're going to call him because he has like his secret name amongst them, and then he has his name that they just call him, and the name they call him is Muadib. Muadib is the kangaroo mouse, and see, they ask him other- what there's other parts where you see that mouse just hopping around yep. the desert. And I wondered why they keep showing the thing. That's the, yeah, that's going to be his name. And that's how they actually mentioned that like this, it's pleasing that you took this name for yourself because we feel that we are of, of humanity. We are the kangaroo mice. Like we save our water and we were smart and we're blah, blah, blah. So like they like the fact that he took that as his name. So that's why that was there. It's like kind of symbolic of what he ends up what he ends up being called pretty good but they don't shadowing really, there yeah they don't really get to go into that too much with the um with the visions because a lot of the visions get kind of curtailed but right. um i kept seeing the little guy and i'm like somehow this mouse is important yep it, it was kind of weird that they didn't bring that up because that's actually a part right after he joins is that they they get his name but i'm guessing that'll come in later but um that's yeah. cool to know now yeah, so whenever you rewatch, just keep an eye out for that because it shows up, I think, in all of his visions, at least to some degree. Yeah, I kept get seeing like a show- thing, and I'm like, yeah. what is the deal with this mouse? Yep, that, that's that's the reason right there. He's That's him. That's that's his name amongst the amongst the Fremen. Now I'm not going to be able to miss it. I'm yep. definitely, now I'm going to see that guy and be like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. Well, that was the thing. Like, when I watched it, I'm like, every little thing, like, I was with my friend, and I would, like, lean over and kind of nudge and point, and she would, like, look and be like, I don't understand. And I'm like, just remember it, because we'll discuss it. You so, were that guy. You're like, 
this right here, this right here. Pay attention. Yeah, I said, yeah, I was like, make sure you're seeing this. <laughs> nice. But um, so let me tell you a little bit about uh, one of my favorite documentaries of all time. Before we go, just a quick, quick version. Go uh, ahead. The, docu- the documentary is called Yadorowski's Dune. Okay. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Alejandro Yadorowski. He was a South American director. <laughs> Excuse me. He uh, he directed some really trippy '60s movies, like really avant-garde, like just weirdness, goofy shit, and, and not, I mean, just out there. And like El Topo was good. Man in the Man in the Magic Mountain was really fucked up. It was like a straight fucking acid trip. Like it was what's her face? So what, what do we call her that we used to work with that took off to? Drop ass with oh, her husband. I, I don't yeah, remember I her nickname. Really good name for, her, but yeah, uh, I don't. I don't remember the nickname. But uh, crackhead, maybe I don't know. But whatever. It, it, yeah, it was basically her. But um, so he decides he wants to make Dune, and this is in like 1971. So he starts accumulating. He he. Okay, so he hired a French comic artist to draw out all their storyboards, right? Okay. And they're getting ready to make this movie, and they start casting people. And they cast Orson Welles. You know who Orson Welles is, right? That name I do know. They cast Salvador Dali. I know that name. They cast David Carradine. I definitely know him. They cast Mick Jagger. Uh, that, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, this was going to be one of the biggest budgeted movies of all time, right? And the, he starts accumulating these writers and these special effects guys, right? Okay. And they're getting ready to make this movie and They've got this huge book full of storyboards, and they're they're getting ready to go. And they book flights for um, uh, fuck what's uh, Tunisia, okay? And then the the funding falls out, so they don't get to make the movie. Oh. So everybody, so everybody in Hollywood starts picking his people up. Tunisia is where they filmed the beginning bits of Star Wars. That was where he was going to film his Dune movie. No, Tatooine. All of his people, his sound effects people, are the people that did all. It, it, they turned into Skywalker Sound, which is the, are the people that did all the Star Wars music, all the Star Wars sound effects. What and are the all of that. Well, oh, it gets better. All of the uh, the effects, all of the the special effects, the practical effects, all of that were his people, right? His writer and two of his producers ended up taking a bunch of his storyboard art and using that as part of Alien. Wait, so, so yep. what he set up turned into a lot of franchises. If you, if there's a part at the end of this documentary where he's leaping through this storyboard book, and he said there's only three copies of this in Hollywood. He said, he said it's been making the rounds of Hollywood since the 70s. And he said, you can see bits of, the, of this movie in so many movies that he's leaping through it and showing you. And it'll take the picture that this dude has drawn and it puts it against the background of the other bits that they took it out of. Like the original Harkonnen like temple becomes one of the temples from Prometheus in 2007. That was a good movie. Uh, I, I still haven't seen it, but I need to, cause I love alien. Um, yeah, you and I talked about it when I saw it a month or so ago. It was yep. really good. I, I wish need to they would have finished that story. Yeah. Um, there were parts from the alien versus predator franchise there was some stuff from Predator. There was a bunch of stuff from Alien and Aliens and Alien 3, which Damn. coincidentally enough, Alien 3 was directed by David Lynch, who was the same guy who directed the the, the first Dune movie. Yeah, they're like every like 
they took all of his stuff and turned it into like 18 different movies and they were all blockbusters, right? That's some Stan Lee type shit. And it's funny because at the end he's talking about it and God, this documentary is so great because he's such a like cool sounding dude. And at the end he, uh, David Lynch made his Dune movie in the eighties. And he said, uh, his sons asked him if he was going to go see him. He said, I said, no, and I do not want to see his movie. It's not my movie. And they said, no, no, you have to come with us and watch it. So he said, and I go to opening night and I sit and I'm so happy and I smile and I laugh because this movie is terrible. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. He was like, I was so happy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, at the end, he's talking about how uh, he said at this point, the only way this movie's ever going to get made is if it's in a multi in multi part, multiple parts or if they do it like on a streaming service where they do like and he said his vision at this point would be animated because there's a really cool part. There are cool bits throughout this documentary where he's talking about what he, how he wanted the story to go, because when he bought Dune, he had never read the books. He just knew kind of an outline of what was going to happen. So he was making his own story up and he's explaining these shots in this story as he's going. And they're showing like, they're kind of cutting between the storyboards and it, and it's like, it's like an animated movie. Like it really is. And it's, I mean, it was really cool. Like the movie would have sucked, but it's really cool to watch the documentary of it and just kind of imagine what it would have been like. But uh, yeah, that's it that, sounds like it, a good documentary to watch. It's so good. It's like an hour and a half. Absolutely worth every second of your time. So much fun to watch. I'll bring it in. Remind me next time I see you and I'll bring it to you because I think you'd love it. Is it something but, I um, can just pop up on YouTube and watch? Uh, you'd have to pay for it. Yeah, I'll wait for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, bring, the, <laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring the DVD to you, but really good man really good stuff nice well i'll tell you i will say definitely i will say doing again for sure me too i will say the one disappointing thing about the whole series is that the uh the son of the original writer decided to kind of take his dad's notes for the rest of the series because it was supposed to have another book there was supposed to be a seventh book and that was going to be the end and and frank herbert died so brian herbert contacts kevin j anderson who's a very well-known fantasy or a sci-fi writer uh, he wrote a lot of the novelizations to Star Wars movies, uh, the Star Wars Expanded Universe. He created a lot of the really popular stuff from the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Um, a lot of the stuff that they used in the prequel and sequel movies that they actually held over from that. Like, he's a really good author. And, man, they really fucking dropped the ball on it. Like, the the um, oh, what they, there's one called the, there's a duology called the Butlerian Jihad and the, the Machine Crusade. And that's about like, uh, <laughs> excuse me, that's about about the machines taking over humanity and then humanity fighting back and then winning their war, right? Right. It's such a cool concept. And there are really good, well-written parts, but they really tried way too hard. And the books are too long and they haven't been edited well. And the stories, the story ends up being too jumbled. And it's like, there are so many parts that could be good and they're just not. And it's a bummer because the storyline is great. And when you read the synopsis, it sounds like the great, like for me as a sci-fi fan and especially as a Dune fan, like I read the synopsis and I was like, I have got to get these. Oh my God. And then I got them and I was like, I'm so underwhelmed. And then the more I read, I was like, I'm disappointed. And then I read more and I'm like, I hate these. I fucking hate them. Like they're just not good. Yeah, it's just such a bummer. Yep, 
and like there were there's some other like extensions like they have some about the history of house harkonnen and house atreides and house carino which is the emperor's house and it's like these should be good they're really not and it's it's a huge bummer i wanted them to be good they i i just didn't think they were and it was really sad all right so give, well. give those a pass if you're a, if you're a fan but uh absolutely watch the movie and uh Watch the movie three or four times, please, because it's awesome. Definitely. Well, that will have to be all the time we've got for today. So sounds thank good to you me. very what? much. It sounds like a really good episode. And I I'm agree. definitely glad that you filled me in on what I needed to know. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Hell, we'll probably end up discussing it again. What do we got to plug this week, Mr. Morgan? Well, uh, we got to plug Mama Morgan's, uh, Mama Morgan's um, Etsy. Well, that is definitely going to be something we're going to do, and that is Sonny's Specialties. And, I mean, she's making everything from signs to bags to, uh, well, all kinds of different merchandise, including she's our merchandise. She's got so much great stuff, and not just our stuff. So please don't hesitate to give her, give her some of your money, because she works her ass off, and she does a great job. That's right. So we're going to have... Uh, we're going to have and then, to... real quick. And then I've got, uh, I'm, I'm working on book number two in a series. We're actually discussing how we're going to sell it. And there's a good possibility that we're going to be selling it either in like in individual chapters or on Patreon. So we will keep you updated on that. But uh, there's a good, good chance that that's going to be independently published sometime in the next year. So keep your eyes out for that. Definitely, definitely do that. And uh, stay close for other episodes from our podcast, Siri Casual Morgan, uh, such right. as Lore and More. And we're still going to try and work on some more Addy and Daddy. We have not totally abandoned that project yet. Hopefully we get some more of those. Those were a lot of fun. That's right. And then Doctor. we're definitely hoping to record possibly next week, as early as next week, for our Delta Green scenario, uh, Last Things Last. So look out for that, too. Not to mention, I've already done, uh, over the weekend, two entire interviews for the casual interview series that I need to edit and get out soon. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, working hard. All right. Well, I hope everyone has a good day, and this is Casual Morgan. We are out. Bob's your uncle.